Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the M365 Voice. My name is Sarah Hazi. And I am Mike Morani. And I'm Antonio Mayo. All right, and are we ready to go? We're ready. We have our cup at hand. Yeah. Okay. See what we got. No exaggerated introductions. We're just going to dive right in. Oh, how do you plan large scale migrations? Go, Mike. Ah. Oh, Mike. Um, okay, that's a that's a very open question. Migration of what? Migration of content into SharePoint. Migration of tenants. Um, so a lot of different options we have. Where are we migrating from? Are we going from on-prem to online and online to online? What? Why don't we start with the base case of migrating content from on-prem to online? Yeah, so that's the most use case scenario is on-prem to online. Um, large meaning that we have thousands of users, we have many, many tens or hundreds of terabytes of content. Uh, we have custom code, we have deprecated features, um, we have term store, we have custom uh, or third party tools. Uh, so, in my experience, whether it is small, medium, or large, you're going to have to start with the analysis phase. You need to understand what kind of content you're dealing with, uh, and that takes quite a bit of time. It depends on depends on the size of your migration. So, talking large, large size, you're looking at about two months of analysis before you get to start thinking about the plan to migrate. And how do you do that analysis? Are you mostly running scans or are you trusting that the customers that you're working with are going to do that analysis and provide you with good data? As much as I love my customers, I just don't trust my customers to provide me the good data. <laughs> Not just because they can't do a good job, just because when you do it over and over, uh, first time probably I've done the analysis, I've missed a few things. So you add, to your log of analysis and scans that you have to do. So you keep adding up until you get to the point it's like, okay, this is probably I've done all the scans I can do. Uh, so I have a list of scans I do from a content perspective, from the <coughs> architecture, how many sites, the level, the depth. Uh, so quite a bit of report I run against SharePoint uh, from a content side, from the farm side. Uh, to kind of understand what the farm is all about and the actual portals they have. Uh, so, and I categorize everything. I categorize what is it. I deal with the content analysis. I deal with technical analysis, with farm analysis, uh, with the solutions, third-party solution, custom code. And inside the content, I do also more than cate more categories in terms of anything to deal with external access versus just internal only. Uh, my sites also, I just categorize that separately. Uh, so I put some categories inside the content and I drill down inside the content as well and to find out how many web apps, how many site collections, uh, how many subsites. Uh, so it goes into a lot of details. So uh, yeah, that's step one. That's step okay. one. <laughs> Great. I'm well, glad that we covered step one. The point about relying on customers, the customers often don't know, it's not just that they um, haven't done this a lot. It's also that 
some of the stats are hard to get um, if you're coming from an on-prem SharePoint environment or even from network file shares. They often themselves have a hard time finding how much content do we have, how many users are accessing it, what are the permissions uh, for on-prem SharePoint, right? Some of the common issues you run into like uh, farm solutions and uh, deprecated features, they have a really hard time themselves telling. Exactly. No. Um, and now then my you have just a, oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, go ahead, Sarah. Um, then you're gonna have a list of things that I would assume that you have a mask that just are automatically going to break. Um, I would assume that, especially if you're moving from on-prem SharePoint to SharePoint Online, um, you're going to have workflows that are out of the box or built with third-party tools or other workflows that are just, here's the list of things that um, are just not going to work. You're going to have to manually recreate. You're going to have to manually build. And I have found oftentimes that that's a hard, a jagged pill for them to swallow because uh -huh. they just want you to magically make it happen. But there is no path to port from point A to point B for some things. Correct. And this is what it comes <clears throat> Uh, educating the clients on what can be migrated and what things that you have to build from scratch. Workflows are good examples and custom code and custom solutions are another good example, even third party solutions. You might have a tool that works on that have uh, that has an online version and also an on-prem, but that does not mean you can migrate it because it's completely different architecture. Um, so everything from outside of content, honestly, uh, it's a rebuild in online. Yeah. Um, and this is when it comes, you educate the client. And after you do the analysis, you're going to have to spend time with them to kind of teach them or educate them on the actual uh, analysis that you made. And they have to come from some, some decisions, decisions on what kind of content they want to migrate, decision as an example that workflows that are they in use. So we will do uh also like an analysis how long has it when was the last time you ran that that workflow uh so uh typically my experience 70 to 80 percent of workflows don't get migrated uh, with workflows in particular is often the question of okay between you know workflow running on prem versus a workflow running online sometimes there's like really critical business processes that rely on those workflows so what's going to happen to that business process in the interim between we stop it on-prem, we rebuild it online, right? Because some, you you can't just stop it, right? There are, you know, actual <clears throat> business that's relying on it. So you need some sort of a transition between the on-prem workflow and the online workflow, whether they're, you know, you know, you're, you build the online one while the on-prem one's still running, and then you cut over to the online one or some sort of a transition plan between them. Exactly. Workflows are tricky for that specific scenario. Yeah. Um, well, this is one example is you just process existing workflows in on-prem and then you'll have to do a run a delta migration of that data that changed after you ran the migration for the online. Um, so you can just copy over some of the changes through the workflow. Right. Uh, yeah, and this is a painful one because this is a high business impact uh, and oftentimes entirely new learning because whatever, however they were building things like workflow, workflows or custom built solutions or custom styled pages or sites or site layouts 
from a SharePoint on-prem perspective is going to be pretty much, I mean, you can cut all of that and you're going to have to refigure out all new tooling and capabilities, even if you're using a third-party tool because it's going to be entirely different um, for online versus it was on-prem. Okay, so is that step two? Um, step step I would say one one B is 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 determining what what content and what <laughs> features you want to migrate. Uh, there will be some stale content, uh, so that's part of the analysis. One B I say uh, that's when you rely on the client to tell you what to migrate and not migrate, to tell you what kind of workflows to migrate or not. We do the analysis of the source of the code, custom code and third party tools and see if they're needed or not. If there are, then you're going to have to start planning on how to do this through the migration. Um, do a lot of people cut a bunch of stale data during that transition process? For example, yeah. say anything that hasn't been modified in the last five years, we want to just leave behind. We don't want to bring that over. Right. Yes. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of clients make that decision. And uh, depends on how they want to deal with it. Some will keep their contact databases uh, archived for another two, three years, or some say, no, we're done with that. We'll just, it's a transitory data. It's five years or older than just, we don't, we don't need it. Yeah. What about, so that brings up the concept of um, doing a lift and shift right. versus doing a re-architecture or reorganization of your content. Right up and you know despite how much I think all of us probably don't like the idea of lift and shift there are sometimes good reasons to do a lift and shift depending mm -hmm. on the business scenario so do you see more lift and shift or re-architecture reorganize of your content unfortunately the percentage is more lift and shift than anything else uh, uh, organizations tend to kind of push back any migration up until they have to uh, yeah. could be um, they're running out of support, uh, it's running on an old server, and they don't have the time anymore just to do a re-architecture and clean up. Uh, I would say seven out of 10 of my migrations have been lift and shift. Yeah. Uh, really? Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a high percentage, unfortunately. Um, but that and, means that they're in a really, in a, in a spot where they've delayed, or maybe now they've really run out of time and they've got to do it, and they've got to do it on the timeline. Exactly. Because uh, timelines for for migration is is not is not quick, especially we're talking large migration. You're looking at about a good twelve months. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Does uh, it increase the time? Sorry, if you're going multiple versions up. So, uh, you know, if we're not just talking SharePoint 2016 or 2019 on prem to SharePoint Online, do you automatically start adding percentage factors more if you're going from 2013 or from 2010? Uh, well, you, there are more features that are not available if you go from 2013 to online or 2010, but that doesn't really matter. At that point, they care about the content, and um, if they have any custom applications, this is where you spend more time. Uh, so custom applications, whether they are on 2010 or 2019, it's pretty much the same thing. They're going to have to rebuild it. Uh, unless you're using SPFX web parts, you know, on-prem, that's uh, much easier. But someone who started investing in SPFX, a lot of people, a lot of organizations are already on online. So makes no difference. Mm -hmm. Now, what about some of the, um, the, the other planning aspects that goes into a large-scale migration? So when I think large-scale migration, I'm thinking tens to hundreds of terabytes, if not more. 
Correct. So often as we approach a migration, we create batches. We create migration batches for the different groups or divisions or business units that are going to be migrated in. And we stage it out over a year, like you said, right. or more. Um, so how do you go about defining migration batches or do you do that? So that's step number two now is okay. the planning aspect of the migration. After you do the analysis and right. after you understand from the client what needs to be migrated and not migrated, this is where the planning starts is what kind of content we're going to migrate first and how we're going to batch that content. It could be based on a specific department or users or groups. It could be based on an application specific or content specific. <laughs> um, also, planning should not only involve the technology, it should be also involve resources. Because in a large migration, you need multiple people. And uh, you, you want to involve the client as well. You want to understand what kind of skill sets they have. So you have to define how many, how many consultants, how many resources you need to do the migration so you can divide up the actual plan. So planning is also around not only content or technology, it's also resources to kind of make sure we plan that batches uh, properly against different resources. So yes, we'll take, uh, we'll take the content, we classify them, uh, depends. It could be by classification of how secure the content is. It could be the most like legal stuff typically is the last, last department to, to move over. Um, it is, right. It, it yeah. really is legal. Usually it's the last. Right. Final. IT is typically first, which is good because you can just move IT, IT content mm -hmm. over. Um, mm -hmm. If you're doing an, an architecture, a new, uh, a new information architecture, then it takes quite a bit of time to, to put all the, to map out yeah. all the subsites into a flat architecture. Yeah. yeah. One interesting nuance I find with migrating IT. IT usually has a combination of network file shares and on-prem SharePoint. And in that, their network file shares, they often have files that you could migrate them to SharePoint, but they don't really fit into SharePoint, right? Executables, MSI files, ISOs, code files. How do you deal with those? Do you still leave a network file share behind to store those, or do you put those elsewhere? I, I push not to migrate those, keep them in a network share or somewhere. Yeah. I have seen a lot of those executables or ISO files in SharePoint Online. Really? SharePoint Online to SharePoint Online as well. And it's the most painful migration because it takes forever. Yeah. So mm. always best case is to keep them behind in a network share. Yeah. Because you can't find them. So if you if you lose, unless it's like an ISO that's really, really old, and they, for some reason you still need it to install it somewhere, uh, you can always go back and find it and download it from somewhere. Yeah. Do you find that your customers have a defined method that they want to use for the migrations, as in a specific third-party vendor or scripting? Um, uh, do you find that they usually want to go a particular way, or do you usually come in and based on how much data they want to filter or what they want to do that you would recommend a path for the how? Um, I, they usually depend on my experience in terms of what is the best approach. Scripting is not something that you want to go with. Scripting, in, in some cases, in preparation for the migration, yes, a lot of scripting, a lot of Excel and scripting uh, to prep for the actual content migration and get in the actual environment ready. Um, 
but then you have to use a third party tool to do the migration. Uh, so in in well, it's 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 fifty fifty. I would say some clients come with with a with a migration tool and they say this is what we bought, uh, and some comes with uh, with asking for recommendations. Okay. Uh, and uh, for a large uh, for a large migration, we we stage it. So we do batches. We do a lot of um, when we do the planning and we know exactly what content goes where. Uh, this is when we start do, doing the migration. And typically, in my experience, you have to look at throttling. So you don't, you can't do migration during the day. You have to do during weeknights or weekends. Um, and then we do test migrations. We do a lot of test migrations to make sure the content is there. If there are any code that we have to kind of replicate in online, so custom code, we're going to have to build it ahead of time. Uh, any workflows, you're going to have to build it with test content. So we have to prep the environment first from a, from a technical perspective before we start doing some test migrations. We do some test migrations and I measure the throughput of the migration and how much throttling I'm getting. Uh, so I can have a good idea. Maybe it's going to take me 12 weeks to do this kind of migration or 24 weeks, whatever that is. Um, and it's always an estimate. It's never hundred. So typically 70, 80 percent, I'm, I'm, I'm accurate with, with my estimates, but it all depends on um, you might hit a, a large list that's going to take a while. So it's, it's hit and miss. Do you have an estimate for how much you can migrate in a day? Um, it, I would, a week, a weekend, yes. Uh, I can migrate about three to four terabytes in a weekend. In a weekend, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, Usually that starting on a Friday at five and ending on Monday at seven a.m. Five p.m. Friday to seven a.m. on Monday, and that's using about fourteen to fifteen different machines. If you are um, doing or fourteen to fifteen different jobs. Gotcha. Uh, anything more? I have found that you get hit with throttling from the tenant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you do that, you move into a, a full production migration ahead of time, then you do an incremental migration as what, what, I, what I call it, the switch over of the cutover weekend. So we've migrated a group, let's say HR, we do all the migration initial sync ahead of time. And then we say, okay, this weekend is when we are gonna flip you over. Um, and then we do an incremental migration of the content during the weekend and typically you have enough time to kind of complete the delta migration and by monday you're you're up and running for for that particular group wow but so a complicated process for everyone what do you think um what are the top two the top two things that your customers you find are surprised by as part of a massive migration like this what catches them by surprise um the time that takes the migration, actually, they don't think it takes that long. They think it's pretty quick. Um, and they always get surprised when I tell them you have to train the users, because if you are on-prem, it's a lot different online. It's way, way, way different. Uh, yeah. So they usually don't take that into consideration. So change management and training is one thing I always push when we start the actual project. And that also starts with the analysis and planning phases. Right. Um, 
because I've, I've seen failed projects when the client resisted the actual training and it's a mess. Mm-hmm. It's not like the content is not there. From yeah. an older version of on, I mean, it's going to be different no matter what, but the older the version, um, it the, the more massive, truly exactly. massive the change. Bigger the change, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that this was a great final thoughts because I, I know we've done kind of a supersized episode on this one, so. Uh, final thoughts. Um, don't think it will be quick. Uh, any, if we're talking about large migration, plan good 12 months from the day you start until the day you actually wipe your hands clean from the on-prem, it takes about 12 months. Um, so plan for that, budget for this, uh, and never kill uh, your farm. Keep your farm alive, read only, but keep it alive for at least three months before you completely decide to kill it off because uh, people will think that content is not there, content did not migrate, maybe content did not migrate properly because when you're dealing with large content, you're going to miss. It's not going to be 100% from day one. Yeah. You're going to have some missed content did not get migrated. You're going to have to go back and compare both environments. If I can add to that, I would say from, from our experience during migrations, um, the actual migration of the data, the actual moving of the data, that's the easiest part. Definitely. The hardest part is the analysis and the planning and the change management and training. That's where the bigger investment happens. Moving to the data, if you've done enough planning, it's really you're pushing buttons and you're watching the data move. Yeah, uh, you you have exactly the source and destination. You have the script ready. You have the tools ready. You just clicking and watching. That's right. I thought this was actually a really fun episode to talk about. Good job, Mike. Thank you. All right. We'll catch you later, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.